Interesting. They're a really horny animal. Oh, the sexuals. Yes. We didn't come up with the stripper names. They chose us. Yo, welcome to the show. This is Common Conversation. Let's talk about sex, right? This is a show where we are uncovering, underlaying, uh, talking about the soft and hard things about talking about sex, right? And all the things soft that we enjoy. And hard. Soft, soft mm. and hard. Wow. Yeah, yes. soft and hard. Or we, we could just sweeten wet. Um, all, the, all the things, <laughs> all the savory. things. <laughs> yes, we can play Listen. with all of it and bring it into the space. Um, I, I just want to say this is a real wonderful way to introduce Dr. Perry to our show. So thank you. <laughs> thank the hot and sour, sweet and savory, <laughs> bitter. And, yeah. Sometimes you know what Welcome you're walking into. Yeah. With a touch of frankincense. Don't. Yeah. Absolutely. Bless. So well, since we're going to lead off like that, this is, this is our seventh episode, right? We're having some fun. We're learning a lot. Um, our last episode, we were talking about how we speak to our kids um, about sex and that journey, our personal journeys as well. And so hopefully our listeners are being able to take something away and add to their lives. There's added value in that space. Um, but let's jump into introductions. How did, we didn't we didn't talk about this pre-show, like how we were going to do this introduction again. Can I mix it up? No. No, you cannot. We have we're going to start with like we have in every episode. Because you're already doing the most. All right. Continuity and leading to consent. We're going to start with Amira. Hello. My name is Amira of The Amira Show. Uh, what did I say before? I like cats the color purple. Um, I have a couple of degrees. That's some new information. I don't have any fun facts. And I'm bisexual, demisexual, and poly. So what better show to be on? Reese, take it away. That's okay. I got you on the fun fact. <laughs> I got a fun fact. My name is Reese. I am in the U of L School of Public Health, getting my PhD. I am a pleasure researcher. Fun fact. I'm ready to scare. Yeah, I'm. Oh, she's she looking at Doctor Ashley. Let's Actually, go. you won't be scared of this one. But Dolphins my fun again. fact for this episode is: I am all for gender equality, but I will never mow that grass. Ever. Which grass? That's From a great grass. Wait a minute, Miguel. I'm you sweep out of quality, but I'm not well, mowing that grass. Over yeah, the head. True story. Wait, wait. Don't let it ride. We are talking about pubic hair, right? I thought no, she I'm was talking, talking about, about my grass. Oh! I will Miguel, never have to. That is a male-centered well, I mean, activity She keeps for me. owning it. She's like, my lawn. My hair. Like, I'm just thumbing. Well, because I have my house. She has her house. We got to establish a baseline. But I will not mow. I'm here with you. I'm here for gender equality. Anybody can situation. wash the dishes, but only you can. She ain't cutting the grass. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. We want to talk about this whole grass cutting thing. No, we don't. Which no. one? It is what it is. The, they're outside. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is what it the, is. Yes. All right. Mm. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I feel like I always end up in the same position. Like, every time I'm I baffled. You always come after my I'm flustered. Hi, I'm flustered. I'm Dr. Ashley Anderson. I am flustered yet again on episode seven. Um, I will get it together eventually, but I um, am a women's health nurse practitioner. I got my doctorate and and master's degree in nursing at the University of Louisville. Go Cards. And um, happy happy and flustered to be here. (laughs) Happy and flustered. Let's go. She did look at you specifically. Yeah, because she knew what was going to happen. We did this with dolphins. The dolphins They gave me a horrible fact about dolphins that I wasn't that one threw me for a loop, It was too. horrible. I mean, well, it just made me look at all the things that I thought about dolphins very differently. I'm still digesting that. <laughs> the and fun then, fact was that they are bisexual? They show bisexual <laughs> tendencies, and they are a very horny animal. 
Yeah, they have rape so caves. I'm thinking about things Who like knew? Free Willy uh, and all, Ralph. you know, like, it, it's a lot. That it brings was, a brand new meaning to Free Willy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's go, Dr. Perry. That's what the doctor said. Very yes. free. So, so Dr. Armand, can I, can, I, can I go with Dr. Armand? Is that well, okay? Or Dr. Armand Perry? Armand is fine. Dr. Armand is good. Will you introduce yourself? Tell tell our viewers, because I love how you just jumped in there, Free Willy, who you are, what you do. He's comfortable. He fits right in. Sure. My name is Armand Perry. I'm a professor at the University of Louisville, um, going into year 16 at the university. I graduated from the University of Alabama, and roll I studied. Time. There you go. Roll Tide. Okay. And <laughs> oh, that's I, okay. I study fathers and I study families, and um, I could not be more excited to be here. This is already more than I was bargaining. For. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you being Great. here. So this particular show is kind of a, is, is a part two to our last conversation um, with Tia in terms of how we talk to our children. And we want to kind of take a, a, a deeper step in, since you focus on young men and families and that thing, like bringing it in and saying, you know, how do we have this conversation with boys? What should men know? What should young boys know as they become young men and then grown men as it relates to sex, um, protecting themselves, protecting their mates? Um, and so just kind of around... A, a, Round stat real quick, right? So looking at that 42% of um, men are sexually active as they get into high school, right? And are not using condoms. Um, something that we, is, is alarming, right? As we think about, you know, how transmitted, how diseases are transmitted, how sexually um, transmitted diseases go across. And, and I always thought about this in a sense because for men, sometimes it's harder, and, you, and y'all can correct me if, if I'm wrong, um, to get a disease than it is transgender disease because it was women. And this is how I learned it, is because men have an Audi and women have an any. So basically the disease can sit on the top of a man's <sighs> penis, penis and as he inserts into a woman, then that is transacted. And so a lot of times men don't get it unless it's the other way around. And I, I thought that was a really neat thing to learn. And, and I, I wondered if, you know, we miss teaching that to young boys as, as that journey goes through with conversations. Um, but I'd like to hear your experience in, in terms of... Also, let me preface this by saying that Miguel tends to ask 75 questions in one <laughs> question. So yes. feel free to pick the ones that you'd like to answer, and we will talk about them from there. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you for the disclaimer. You know, the long conjunction sentence. You can type it there at the go. bottom. There you go. I, I think that um, there's, a, there's a lot of room for discussion and conversation about the ways in which uh, boys are socialized around sex. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, a lot of young men are uh, socialized to be um, aggressive when it comes to sex. Yep. Someone brought up the word consent a few minutes ago, and so I think that's a, should be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that consent is an ongoing and fluid yes. situation, right? I think that that's important for young men to know. I think it's important for young men to have trusted adults in their lives where they can go and get good information from I'm thinking back to my own experience when I was younger, and I found that this is the case for large numbers of young men who I've encountered in my research, is that uh, when they don't have trusted adults to provide them with good information, then they end up filling in the gaps from whomever, wherever, and they end up with a lot of myths and a lot of urban legends that becomes uh, the gospel to them, right? When I was younger, there was the the idea that if you had sex with a young woman in certain positions, then... You don't get pregnant. Right. Yeah. You don't get pregnant. Gravity is up. supposed to help you. <laughs> right, <reason>. right, <laughs> right. And so there's a lot of things like that that I think, um, absent, again, uh, good places to go to get uh, information from trusted adults, young men end up 
misinformed mm -hmm. and, and these things get passed down from generation to generation. So I think those are the, some of the reasons why these conversations are particularly important. When we're talking specifically about the African-American community, sometimes these conversations are taboo. Yeah. Um, and so we need to, I think, lift the veil and have open and honest discussion and conversation so that we can all be as safe and as, um, as transparent as is possible when it comes to these conversations. What do you think, and I, I'm just curious, and I, I, maybe you have an answer, or maybe y'all have an answer, you know, what makes sex taboo as a conversation in the black community? I was so going to ask that question. I, so, so it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you all knew this or not, but I, a couple years ago, I had a book published called Black Love Matters. Oh, I circled it on here. I was okay. going to ask about it. <laughs> and, and, and what's interesting, about, I think the third, I think it's the third chapter, is called Let's Talk About Sex, mm -hmm. right? And so in that chapter, one of the things we discuss is the history of black sexuality being demonized and marginalized by the broader society. Mm -hmm. And so in response to the question, why is it that sex and sexuality is taboo in the black community? I think it's because the history of white supremacy has always taught us that us thinking about and engaging in discussion and conversation about our bodies has been something to be ashamed of. Yes. And the idea where my head went. The idea that black women have been painted as promiscuous, the idea that black men have been painted as uh, dangerous as it comes to sex, uh, the sort of ever-present threat of sexual assault, particularly in relation to white women. Mm -hmm. These are the things that I think have suppressed discussion and conversation in our community around sex because in our attempt to be identified as whole human beings, right. we've ended up having to feel as though we need to suppress that part of us so as to present ourselves as more moral than uh, our white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, at least a part of the answer. Okay. So yeah. how do we, I mean, jump okay. in. All right. mm -hmm. so I, I think about our young men, right? Our, our youth, our kids, you know, how do we, how do we prep them to face that scenario, right? How do we, how do we begin to make it not so taboo and starting with our young folks? I think it's just a part of racial socialization, right? Um, and so we talk about the talk or the conversation that we have with uh, our black, probably teenagers, right, both boys and girls. You live in the world and the world sees you and recognizes you as black and as a consequence of that, it's going to engage you in certain types of ways. And when our kids become a certain age, we talk to them about how is you that you engage when law enforcement stops you? How mm -hmm. is it that you engage when you're in the academic sort of space? How is it that you engage when you're going on for a job interview? I think discussion and conversations related to sex should be right up there with all of those conversations because those interactions are just as natural as all those other things Absolutely. that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. Mm -hmm. So I know that you do a lot of um, research and work around fathers and fatherhood and the impact of fathers in particular on their children. So how would you, or is there a difference between the way fathers show up for their daughters or fathers show up for their sons in the conversation around sex and sexuality? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Again, now we're speaking generically or stereotypically mm -hmm. here, but uh, generally speaking, men tend to uh, want to uh, protect their daughters as it relates right. to sex and oftentimes are uh, freer, right, maybe a little bit more progressive when it comes to their sons. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a part of a discussion that we really need to have, right? Because, um, again, the, we're all adults here, and one of the things that we all know is that women enjoy sex as much, if not more, than men. Mm -hmm. Speak on it. 
And so this idea that, <laughs> and so this idea that sex uh, becomes this game where women are socialized to act as if they don't want it or don't enjoy it or they shouldn't initiate it, and it's something that they should try to withhold, and it's something that men should chase and sort of yeah. be aggressive as it relates to trying to conquer women, so on and so forth. I think that that is a part of the misinformation that leads to the repression that ends up manifesting itself in all types of negative and dangerous ways with our people. So again, I think lifting the veil and having real, true, and authentic conversations, whether we're talking male, female, non-binary, whatever the case may be, so that we can get to whatever the truth is and allow people to engage and show up in their most authentic and truthful selves. When you, when you say fathers tend to protect their, their daughters from a standpoint of sex, can you define what you mean by protection? Yeah, so, so just for example, I was, uh, it may have been TikTok or something along those lines. I'm looking at it the other day and... You got the, TikTok? What's your TikTok? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the screen. Uh, I, 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 sure, I, I think I do have a TikTok. It may or may not be active. Uh, <laughs> if, if, anything on my TikTok is this, my, my son and I goofing off doing karaoke in the basement. Okay. Um, Beautiful. But... Um, it may have been TikTok or Instagram or something along those lines. And anyway, there was a, a toddler, a, a female toddler, a little girl. She had a pamper on, and she's, uh, music is playing, and she goes to start dancing to the music, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the little girl ends up uh, about to bend over, and Dad comes out of nowhere, and he sort of scoops her up and is sort of chastising her for... Uh, what he would describe as twerking. Where's well, the two or three year old kid? She don't know what she do. No yeah. she has what she do. And if that's what she felt, and I'm just blaming. <laughs> right. And so anyway, so it's that sort of thing, right? Just mm-hmm. this idea that uh, dads tend to, again, to whatever extent possible, uh, limit the perception that their daughters are even interested or uh, engaging in anything that could be remotely sexual. That's true. My dad pretended it even it, did, it didn't even exist. <laughs> we definitely did not discuss. So, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. So it's that sort of thing, right? Got you, got you. So, so for boys, though, it's, it's projected, right? Go have, how, what does that look like? Oft, oftentimes it is. Okay. Oftentimes it is. Um, and so, again, without, <laughs> without saying too much, but um, the, the first time I went on a date, right, I, the, the person I went on a date with, um, my dad set me up on a date. Okay. And oh. he, How old were you at this point? Well, I, so I, was, I, was, I was 16, and the, the person I went on this date with wasn't 16. She was, she was older than I was, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and again, take that scenario and flip it on his head. Make can, it make sense. Can you imagine a scenario? Because I would never be set up with anybody older than me at 16. But, on a, I wouldn't even be set up for a I date. Say, being, right. set up, being set up on a date as a woman, just no. That's it. And, <laughs> and allowed, I couldn't even have a boyfriend till 17, or a partner at all, because now I like girls too. But like, yeah, 17 and up, basically grown. As, right. And imagine your father setting up one of his daughters on a date with an older Man, right? right? Like Not we couldn't happening. even, we couldn't fathom it. And so again, so that's this sort of, um, with, I don't know if you call it a double standard or whatever the case may be, but that's the type of differences in the ways in which I think men tend to engage their daughters in discussion or conversation or the lack thereof related to sex and how it is in other instances and in other cases uh, is um, promoted, uh, celebrated, and facilitated by dads when it comes to their yeah. sons. So if we, if, go ahead. I was going to ask a question about just you brought up this double standard. And so we've been talking about um, intimacy in other episodes. Do you see a shift in fathers talking about intimacy with sons in a different way 
now, um, kind of combating that toxic masculinity narrative that has been around? Here's what I'll say there. In the, the chapter in, in the book, uh, chapter three, let's talk about sex. One of the things that I found refreshing that I did not think I was gonna find when interviewing the men for the book was that they were interested in achieving intimacy with their partners even when it was separate and distinct from sex, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And that was something that I was not expecting as a sort of a research finding there. They talked about wanting to be partnered. They talked about wanting to feel close and they talked about wanting to feel connection mm -hmm. with their partners even if that did not involve sex and even when that was separate from sex. Now, to be clear, they were certainly interested in sex. having se right. sex. Right. was not out of the question at all. Right, right. <laughs> but the men were able to intelligently articulate uh, the differences and distinctions between intimacy and sex, even though the two things are unrelated in some ways. That's hopeful because you do hear a lot of um, women saying, like, I want a partner that wants to be more, like, emotionally secure um, and more vulnerable. And the way that you were talking about, the way that we socialize men and things like that, it doesn't really give them the space to do that. Yeah. So it's hopeful that that the, the new age of man is saying, this is something we want. Absolutely. We, I think we are seeing more of that. We're seeing more of that. And again, we, we still have work to do. Mm -hmm. Because again, my, my experience and my research tells me that many men and women still would um, sort of chastise or marginalize men for being emotionally demonstrative. And so for those reasons, there are large numbers of men out there who have learned in their relationships, right? That, that they can't present in that way. Right. right. And not still be respected, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so, so again, so we still have a lot of work to do, but I, I'm encouraged, as you are, by what it is I'm seeing with the current and new generation. In, in your research, what's the age group of the men that you were studying? Oh, so the the the, da uh, the dads, the the guys that I work with, they were they ranged anywhere from 18 up until 62. So uh, in the in the book, what I was interested in was getting a cross section of African American men. All too often in social science, what we see is we see what we call a deficit frame, mm -hmm. right? Where we focus on the challenges that face our community. So you may have like adolescent dads, or you may have low-income men or something mm -hmm. along those lines. As I was interested in having a discussion, a conversation that sort of spanned a socioeconomic continuum, the age continuum, the educational attainment continuum, because uh, I was looking to counter the, the narrative that what we get in social science, at least at this point, has been people talking about black men, but very, very seldom do we talk to black men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I was going to... Um, kind of piggyback on that. Can you talk about, in general, like what led you to write this book? Um, what was your process? And um, if there was anything, was was that what you, the, the piece about intimacy, was that your most surprising finding or was there something else? Well, the piece about intimacy was certainly one of the more surprising findings. I think big picture, the most surprising thing was just how open and free the guys were willing to talk to me. I, I, again, I'm a social worker by trade, so I walked into that project assuming that I was going to have to use every single engagement and clini clinical <laughs> skill that I had to pull this stuff out of guys. Mm -hmm. But what I found was that it was almost as if they were waiting on opportunity and I just showed up asking the questions. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was probably yeah. the, the biggest and most surprising finding. When it comes to the motivation for writing the book, again, I study fathers and marriage and romantic relationships are men's primary pathways 
for taking active roles in their kids' lives. Mm -hmm. So even though my primary interest is fatherhood, I have to necessarily be interested in the ways in which men are able to able to form unions through marriage, or at least have a respectful co-parenting relationship mm -hmm. so they can have access to their kids. Mm -hmm. So in my fatherhood work, there was men talking about the issues of marriage and relationships and how those things either facilitated their involvement or served as a barrier. Mm -hmm. And so it led me to be interested in romantic relationships, um, you all are probably familiar with a decade and a half ago, Steve Harvey wrote How mm -hmm. to Act Like a Act think, Whatever. Act like, yeah. a man. Act like a Man. Think like a Lady. Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Sure. And what was interesting about that was uh, people in my circle of influence were going crazy over this book. And it seemed like it was a talk all over town. Yeah, whole and, movie. Yeah. <laughs> a couple yeah, of them, I think. Yeah, Even people who weren't what I would describe as avid readers were picking the thing up. And mm -hmm. so when I started to notice the influence and the impact of it just on regular, everyday people inside and outside of, like, academic spaces, I said, there's something to it. So I picked it up and I read it myself, and I felt a little bit sort of disillusioned. Mm -hmm. um, what, I, what I saw was the world according to Steve Harvey. Mm -hmm. But what I was receiving from people as if it were something that was based on data mm -hmm. and empirical evidence, mm -hmm. and it wasn't. It was like gospel for people. Right, yeah. right. That's how I it felt. Was... I never read it because just off the title, I was just like, how does, what, what do you mean act like a lady? And what do you mean think like a man? Like I felt like that needed to be parsed out more in my head, and that is like subjective you know, or objective or what, whichever one of those words it is. Like, so, <laughs> might be so, both. Might be both, might be both. So I never read it. So that was interesting that, that you shared that. And um, I was happy to hear you say that because I thought I was just being a hater. So your, your stance is like this one book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, is from the perspective of one man's experience. And your book kind of brings in the perspective of multiple men's experience and it kind yeah, of because you actually on, interviewed Absolutely. yeah, yeah and, you and they're included in and their voices are included and there's no one way to approach relationships absolutely yeah. and the subtitle is uh african-american men authentic african-american men voices on romantic relationships because again we wanted regular run-of-the-mill real people uh mm -hmm. the other thing about steve harvey is again given his socioeconomic status his lived experiences are much, much different than yeah. Joe and Jane public, yeah. right? Yeah. And so again, so I wanted to try to even out, or at least begin to even out the narrative around how it is that black men do or don't engage uh, romantic relationships in marriage. And so that was the motivation for gotcha. that particular project. Is, could, I, could I influence you to, to take that study and bring in adolescence and puberty and see them where young boys who are being developed by their fathers what their thought process is. I mean, I'd be really curious. I mean, definitely as we're talking about the fact that we're getting to the point where men have already been trained, right? We're at 18, you're pretty much who you're going to be until the next experience. And and all through adolescence, you figure that out. Your mom taught it, your daughter, your, your, your father taught it, and so on and so forth. I'd be curious to see where that, with that 13-year-old who's hitting puberty, who's really kind of learning, he's, he's of age, right? Well, probably of age at 10 for some young boys what their thought process would be and how free they are to have a conversation about their sexuality, their sensuality, and then sex as a whole. Would you, would you do that? I feel like you'd get it honest. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like kids, I'm, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But just on that whole intimacy piece there, in my head, I was like, of course. That's what everyone wants. Yeah. It's everyone else who's projecting onto their children or onto other people trying to shit on that experience. So 
I would think that they would all just be like, yeah, I want to just love someone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, again, I think that authenticity, I think having access to good information, solid information, I think is what is in order there, right? Um, the connection to this conversation to the fatherhood is that, again, dads need to learn about child development. You need to know what you can and should expect of your kid at various points in that child's life. And obviously adolescence is one of them. Probably the biggest child development marker or milestone or benchmark in adolescence is this idea of puberty, yeah. right? Yeah. And that has to do with your physical ability to become a parent. And so, uh, again, just another example, not to personalize this too much, but a year or so ago, my son asked me about where babies come from. Mm-hmm. How old is he? Well, he's 12 now. But okay. at the time, he was like maybe 10, 10 and a half. And so I felt compelled, like it sort of rattled me a little bit. I wasn't expecting that question from a 10-year-old kid, but I did feel compelled to give him a real and true answer. And we weren't talking about a wee-wee or anything like that. It's like, no, no, son, let's start right here. Every 28 days or so, right, a woman, an egg is going to come down the fallopian tube. And so we talked about... Yeah, right. That is amazing. Unfortunately. Unfortunately for some people. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. So we talked about ovulation. We talked about erections. We talked about penises. We talked about vaginas. We talked about the uterus and so on and so forth. The fertilization of the egg. I'm even know all that shit. So here's what I need you to do. I'm going to need you to write all that down. Because I have two sons. One is four. One is five. Yes. I'm going to need a little handbook. Maybe write a children's book. Dr. Armand Perry talks about how to teach little boys about. Mm, yeah. But again, but, but the idea is if you have solid information, then that's something you can do something with. Yes. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, again, if we're talking about sex, we're talking about informed consent. Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever it is that people are doing, as long as you and I are on the same page about what's about to happen, then everything is fine. Uh, making sure that my son is equipped with solid information so that he can make informed decisions, mm-hmm. not putting him in a position where he's walking out into the world blind. Mm-hmm. Right, right. right. Uh, and yeah. So, again, I, w- I would advocate for people to move beyond the stigma, move beyond the taboo, because we're talking basic biology here, mm-hmm. right? This, like, nothing could be more natural. Mm-hmm. And so, I, again, I think it's high time for us to to engage in these conversations in real and authentic ways so that our children aren't out here um, filling in the gaps with, with people in places that they need not be, right? My first sex ed teacher was Todd Shaw, and that's too short for people who don't know, right? Ah! <laughs> so my... It took him a minute. It took him a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting teacher. I did not know two shorts, government. Luther Campbell and Todd Shaw, my first sex teacher. Terrible decisions. <laughs> Terrible decisions. But again, in absence of good information, solid information, we all were filling the gaps, mm-hmm. right? And me and the people in our neighborhood, we filled in the gaps with Todd Shaw and Luther Campbell. And now we kids have all the things. Yeah. They yeah. have TikTok and oh, YouTube and all kinds of stuff that they can try to figure things out. Absolutely. Access to free porn. Mm-hmm. It's, right. We were having a conversation about um, the media influencing what they know. Um, and I love that you talk to your son about female parts. Even though you don't have a uterus, you should know what a uterus is and what it does. You don't have a clitoris, but you should know what a clitoris is, where it is, and what it does. And s- separating kids and just talking to them about what they have um, only gives them part of the conversation. 
So that's that's great that you did that. I love it. It's all information. It's neutral information. Like nothing sexualized about it. Like this is a period. This is what happens. I didn't even realize it was 28 days. I thought it was 30. It's an average. It oh, right. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm still on it. No. Yeah. <laughs> Could be 26 to 32. I'm curious about your son's responses. If can you would you share like when you go through that conversation like what were some of his responses? So I, again, obviously my son knows me, and so it was a really really matter of fact conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so um, when when we have discussion and conversation, I'm I'm an open book, right? Mm-hmm. Again, back to the fatherhood thing. My job is to put him in the best position possible to succeed, mm-hmm. and so everything that I have access to, I'm going to give it to him, mm-hmm. right? And so his his response was. Okay, Dad. I'm getting. I would imagine it was probably more than he was expecting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, what? Sir, it's not just cutting point. Yeah. Right. But but again, he's he's a matter of fact kid, and and I, again, my my mission is to put him in the best possible position so that he doesn't find himself in a spot where he makes a decision in the heat of the moment that ends up impacting him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and then knowing full well that I had, I had the information and I just didn't share it with him. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Did you have, uh, or did your son have conversations with your wife as well? That was my next question. Yeah, yeah. Right? There is, there is yeah, that's a really, and I don't know the answer to that. Huh. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll... I'll find out. Maybe you have to bring me back for episode. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We, have, we have like three or four part two. Wait a minute. Yes. But I just need to put a caveat in there here. You when you come back for episode two, I need that handbook for myself. <laughs> you finish your book before you Absolutely. come back. I got you. Thank but you. yeah, I'm just curious. We were having a conversation. We were doing consent from a, a mother's perspective sure. and talking about um, sex and talking with kids from a mother's perspective. And I asked the question of like, do you get with the other parents and talk to the other parents that your kids are dating around um, what they're saying to their kids? So mm-hmm. Is that something that you've considered or you and your wife have considered? So, Well, my son is probably a tad bit young for that, but I could mm-hmm. certainly see myself doing that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, again, for me, the same way that if he were going to the fair with one of his friends, he, I, we wouldn't allow him to go unless we knew who the other kid's parents were and had enough that's of how a... That's it con- used to be. Right? <laughs> well, it really is. We had all the numbers. <laughs> absolutely. With our house, it still is, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we live in a wild and crazy world. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so we wouldn't allow him to spend large amounts of time outside of our presence with other people. We didn't feel comfortable with those people. And a part of that assessment has to do with spending time with them and getting to know them. So do we have some sense for what they might or might not do? That's a part of the assessment that we're doing before we make the decision as to give him the permission or not. And so, again, what we're talking about, these, th- these things are literally life and death, mm-hmm. right, from an STI sort of a perspective. But beyond that... Uh, the idea that you could, uh, again, engage in sex with someone, have a child. Now you are now connected to that person for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Some of us yeah. would say for the next 18 years, mm-hmm. but yeah. I reject that, that, right? Yeah, Once you have a child, your job is to parent until one of you is no longer on this side of the dirt, mm-hmm. right? So, again, so the, this is, nothing could be more high stakes. My job, my role is to arm and equip him with everything that I have so that he can make the best decision possible. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I don't know if this also fits into that too life or death situation, Um, but I also was thinking on the consent safety thing as well, like understanding consent and 
you know, that line, I don't even want to say it's a thin line, it's just a line of, you know, I don't know, going to jail or something, like over something. Life-altering consequences Yeah, yeah. So I wondered if that fit in that too, because that's also what I thought of in that moment. Absolutely. And so I'll say two things here. One thing is sort of self-serving and is um, just sort of a real discussion of conversation. My son is going to be a black man in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, and... I could remember before I even hit puberty, there was a guy in my neighborhood who ended up going to prison for 28 years for an alleged rape, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, I wasn't there when the deed was being done, mm-hmm. but up until the point in time when I could no longer see the two people walking off from the basketball court where you were, yeah, it didn't seem like... Um, anything other than a consensual act. Now, yeah. again, this is with the understanding that I fully understand that consent is an ongoing and fluid situation. Yeah, right. yeah. The point that I'm trying to make to you is, in response to your question, absolutely having those discussions and conversations with my son that consent is a real thing and it's ongoing and fluid because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have 12 people of your peers, right, making the decision about whether or not you're going to maintain your freedom. Right. Yeah. The, the other thing is um, you also don't want to be in a situation where you have done something to someone and you have irreparably damaged or harmed them. Because, right, mm-hmm. absolutely. So you want to protect yourself, but you also don't want to be the, the reason for someone else's trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's an incredible sort of a cross to bear. So for all of those reasons, I think that the consent conversation is particularly important um, in... Um, in that socialization process yeah. where we're having the open and transparent and authentic discussion and conversation. Absolutely. We also talked about that from the standpoint of uh, teaching men that they also have consent too. And if they don't want to have sex, they don't have to have sex. Um, and they shouldn't be forced to fit into this narrative of you should want it all the time, you should have it all the time, um, that you have the opportunity to be vulnerable and say, not right now. Right. Because right. that's definitely not encouraged. Yeah. No, absolutely, not, absolutely not my experience not. anyway. And you talk about the shame and the stigma, right? And so making sure that he has the courage and the willpower to be able to say, if this is not something I'm interested in, I have the agency to say no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On that note, we have to wrap up. Um, it has been a pleasure having you here. Sure. I definitely yes. want you to come back. Like, mm-hmm. I, so we can, because I think there's so much more mm-hmm. that we can unpack and, and, and hopefully those who are listening um, or watching, right, you've, you've been able to kind of galvanize and, and grab some tools and go home and have a conversation with your wife and your friends and your family and your sons, right? See where they are. Um, as we wrap, 30 seconds and then we're going to jump out of here. Start with Reese. Any, any takeaways? Men have agency too. Men have agency too. Let's get it. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> I don't trust my 30 second game right now. Gosh. I don't trust my 30 second game. Yeah. Because yeah, this was so. We're going to send them to the confessional room. Yeah. Dr. Amon Perry, 30 seconds. Any wrap up, anything that. Yeah, let's talk about sex. We got to talk about it. We appreciate it. This is Comic Convo. Uh, like, subscribe. If you want to know more, hit the comment. Throw us some messages. We will respond. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. This program is supported by the Health Equity Innovation Hub at the University of Louisville. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the funder.